You can't be Christ-soaked and toxic. That's just not possible. You can't remain Christ-soaked and have toxic friends. That's not possible either. Now, I'm not saying you can't be Christian. Hear that. Being a Christian is not the same as being Christ-soaked. You can be toxic all you want. You can surround yourself with the most toxic people in the world, and you can still be a Christian. There is a wide berth when it comes to what constitutes being a Christian. A lot of toxic people know Jesus as Lord. What I'm saying is, you can't be toxic or have toxic relationships and remain Christ-soaked. That's not possible. To be Christ-soaked is to devote your entire being and all that you do love and walk like Christ in the world. In both word and deed, you do everything. What you act on, you do it in the name of Christ. And this is what Colossians calls us to be. And a real barometer for how soaked we are in Christ is the type of person we are within relationships and then the type of people we associate with. If you're constantly projecting a fake persona, if your ego is what leads you in and out of relationships, and you've got this inexplicable need to present yourself in a way that's more than you are or different than you really feel and it's counter to your true, authentic self, that is a telltale sign you're becoming toxic. And if you're in a relationship or any relationship, the people that you talk to and hang out with, if their life patterns and the conversations with you are built on this shaky ground of intolerance or hate, or you just always seem to be upset when you're around this person, or the premise of all of your conversations together are to badmouth someone, or to talk down to someone, or at something else. That's a tell that your relationships are moving into toxicity. And you can't be Christ-soaked and be toxic, or have toxic relationships. It's just not possible. A lot of you know I played baseball in college. In a lot of ways, I wouldn't have traded any of those days because of the experience it afforded me. I learned a lot about myself and teamwork, competition, the agony of defeat, because we got beat a lot. And so much of what I experienced during those seasons of my life have carried with me to who I am today. So I'm indebted with it, but I lost a college experience because of it too. But, and you could probably feel a but was coming, those years were toxic. I wasn't authentic. My friends weren't either. I'm not even sure we knew what an authentic life looked like. And it's probably no surprise to you that almost all of those relationships failed. They haven't lasted because they were built on a false premise, a toxic environment. Some of that is because of the people I was choosing to hang out with and to call friends. 
But the common denominator was me, the quality of the person that I was in those relationships. And it really is a both and. You know you're toxic when you self-examine yourself and others and realize it looks nothing like Christ. And we see this squarely in Colossians 4. But before we jump back into the text, let me just add something that I think is important. In order to first have Christ-soaked relationships, we have to do the hard work of dealing with ourselves. You may be in a toxic relationship that needs to end. You may have a friend or a coworker or someone you're dating and you need out. I get it. And that might be the best thing for all parties involved. But if you aren't working out the toxicity in your own life, then you're just going to carry it with you into the next relationship. And that's what Colossians 4 tells me. In order for our relationships to change, our inner lives have to change first. So let me show you. Here's verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. Here's another tell that you're living Christ-soaked. You have an active prayer life. Not only are you pouring your heart out to God in adoration for God, but you're also offering prayers of thanksgiving. And that's a big one. There are a lot of ways to pray. You can offer adoration to God or confession or supplication. You can pray contemplatively or through meditation, sitting in silence or running or thinking or hiking or journaling or reading. Whatever helps you and helps your soul connect to the ground of its being, that thing is prayer. But a tell that you're living Christ-soaked is that while you're praying, you start praying and thanking God for other people. You start making room in your inner world for others, and you're grateful for them. Over the last five years, there's been something that's become increasingly popular, and I would be shocked if you haven't heard about it or haven't purchased it yourself gratitude journals. You may have one, and rightfully so. The science supports it unbelievably. Those who are grateful and who document things they are grateful for, those who show gratitude on a daily basis, they're more likely to feel better, act better, and live a more meaningful existence. Opening ourselves up to the world around us and being grateful for the roles that those things play and the people in our lives play and the role we play for them, that intermingling makes us Christ-soaked. This practice is a form of thanksgiving, which is a form of prayer, which is a form of deep devotion. So it starts in us first so it can spill out into others. Look at verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray for us as well, that God will, op will, that God will open to us a door for the word, 
that we may declare the mystery of Christ, for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Our hearts should be moved by the plight and situations and lives of others. A Christ-soaked life can't be me-centered. It has to be focused on the world and others around us. And we can only do that when we're not sabotaging our own needs and our own personhood. We can only focus on others when we feel safe and secure and not threatened in who we are. And we can only feel safe and secure and not threatened when we live out of a devotion that actively prays. It's in prayer that we hear the still, small voice reminding us that we are enough. We are God's beloved, just as we are, in all that we are, in who we are. But toxic people don't believe this. They think they're broken, and that's why they need to break others. Because hurt people hurt people. And they don't think they deserve to be in the relationships that they're in. And so they sabotage them by breaking them themselves. But Christ-soaked people, they know in their bones. And then it spills out into their concern and care for others that because of their relationship in Christ, they are enough. They are God's beloved, just as they are. And when you know the depth of the truth of this on the inside, it spills over into relationships on the outside. And we're able to live out what happens in verses 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. A life soaked in prayer and devotion allows you to be in the presence of outsiders and still be rooted in who you are. You have an identity in Christ that roots you and can let you stand in front of toxic people or outsiders and not have to absorb the damage that they're offering. You're able to see people for the image that they are and not the damage. You can speak tenderly to them. Your actions can be seasoned with salt. If only Christians could heed this advice more today. I mean, over this sermon series, I've mentioned from time and time again that it's us Christians who are the ones that aren't soaked in Christ. Not like we should be. Not right now. And we see it in our relationships with others. And I think Colossians names this perfectly. They call it outsiders. Think about the people that you think are outside of the realm of your mercy, outside the realm of your influence, people who are outsiders. And honestly, what we'll discover 
is there's a lot of toxicity in church right now. There's a low trust relationship between people and church, and it typically results in just horrible communication from one side or the other, and there's a lot of upset feelings. And I am not talking about First Baptist. Honestly, we are the exception to the rule. What's happening in the church around us, it's falling apart. But yet, our community manages to do something quite beautiful together. So I'm not talking about First Baptist. I'm talking about the movement of Christendom. Christianity across the globe, at least in the Western world, it can be toxic. Christians are struggling. Our churches are a mess. We're conflicted on so many counts. And the world looks at us and says, you're too hypocritical. You're too me-centric. And they don't want to take on the toxic nature of what we're offering. Some sects in the church have married itself to dangerous, toxic ideologies. And I can't help but wonder, if we just keep going, unaware of this, unconscious to this, what will be the future of the church? I think the author in Colossians seems to know. The future of the church is one that takes a devoted prayer life seriously. It's one that doesn't sabotage, creating toxic environments because you don't feel worthy. Rather, Colossians sees the church as being a place that soaks itself in the nature and being of Christ. It devotes itself to Christ on the inside so it can share it with the world on the outside. To live a Christ-soaked life means you have to examine the relationships you find yourself in, starting with the relationship you have with yourself. So what level of Christian devotion are you bringing to the table? And in what ways is that edifying and strengthening and participating and building up the body of Christ? These answers will tell you all you need to know on how soaked you are in the love of Christ.